everybody welcome to episode 34 of the locker room we've got an awesome interview today with david Meltzer, who is a speaker author and entrepreneur and a very successful one at that we've got that interview we've got a lot more coming at you stay tuned it's all about to happen right about now now gratitude will give you a positive perspective empathy will give you peace accountability will liberate you but effective communication, connecting to all, will empower everyone to empower even more people to be happy. And that makes us all happy. Thank you very much. We got Hoodie Cappy over here looking like Hoodie Mellow. Um, what's up, Cappy? How you doing? It's good. It's good. Another Wednesday, another episode of The Locker Room. We got a great one for everybody today. Yeah, I got the hoodie on. I kind of look like I got a condom on my head. I'm not going to lie. Uh, the Lululemon works in a lot of ways, but this hoodie, uh, it's not working for me. But I'm doing well. Wednesday, you know what that means. Another episode of The Locker Room. So another good interview we're bringing you guys way. But besides that, I'm just excited for a good Labor Day weekend up ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to have David on. David, he, you know, very successful man. I mean, you talk about someone who had it all, then lost it all, then got it back. Very inspirational. I mean, after after I listen to it, and I'm sure after any of you guys listen to it, that you'll be motivated to start whatever that idea was that you came up with while drinking a few beers with your friends. With that said, it's not easy to bring a product to market, let alone an idea. So go check out Doorstev. Doorstev is an on-manned product development agency based in New York with a dedicated engineering and manufacturing team in Hong Kong. They have done work with a plethora of companies, including Gravity Blankets, Blue Land, Humankind, Great Jones, Silo, and so many more emerging companies. I've worked with Doorstev on a project, and they're second to none. Even if you just have an idea or a napkin sketch, Doorstev's team of product development experts can lead any project to market, including design, engineering, sourcing, manufacturing, testing, distribution, and beyond. Go to www.doris.dev to learn more and reference Locker Room for a free consultation. All right, so I got an invention. I need you to tell these people about it. It is... Yo, reach out yourself. So it's a piece of matzah that you can eat, but it's also a blanket. So it's a <laughs> Well, we have to buy a new one every week. Exactly. <laughs> um, this past Saturday was my grandpa's 90th birthday. And we had a Zoom, a family Zoom, obviously, like the typical family does. And I told my you sister. said 90, right? 90, yeah, 90. He's, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's doing well. He's doing well. Told my sister and my cousin to record it because I knew something funny was bound to happen with 12 different people in a family Zoom. So obviously my grandma, we call her Mimi. I'm sure there's 70, like 75% of you guys call your grandma Mimi. But <laughs> Mimi says, Johnny, how's the podcast? And then I'll, I'm, I'm going to play the clip for you guys and let you get a sense for how my family behaves in that kind of setting. So I hope you guys enjoyed this quick clip. Nothing. I want you to hear about, you know, your new broadcast, your podcasts. What's going on there? We're, we're starting to talk about sex now. And it's Jewish. So Jewish people don't have sex. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's just a little hint of what my family's like. The conversation actually continued, and we ended up talking about songs about erections, but I figured I'd leave that part out of the episode. Um, I know Cappy knows my family pretty well. Max, you haven't had the pleasure yet, but um, I think my grandma sounds basically like every other Jewish grandma that there is. So To a T, to an absolute T. That, <laughs> when you sent that video to the group, I was literally in tears because like, that honestly depicts a Jewish grandma like perfectly. But it was so so. I want to ask you first. When have we talked about sex? You're, you're going to make your grandma have a heart no, attack. No, I don't know. I was just messing with her because I I knew like something funny. Like I knew something funny would come of it. And like for me, my grandparents like now that I'm 
when I was younger, I was just like afraid to like talk about things in front of them. But now it's like, I'm 24 years old. I can talk about sex or whatever in front of my grandparents drinking. Sex, Johnny? Yeah. Sex? <laughs> but I wanted to ask you guys, cause like, I feel like every, not even just Jews though, but just like every single person in the world has a nickname for their grandparents. Do you guys have anything like, like I have like my pop-up, my Mimi, my mom, my, and then he's just actually grandpa, but I feel like you guys have something. Um, not really. I, the no closest, way. the closest thing that we have is our grandpa passed away, but his name was Mike and we called him Murray. I don't know why, but we called <laughs> him Murray. That's a real nickname. Yeah. That's, a yeah, that's like a real nickname. The <laughs> other thing is, this is funny. Um, my dad's real name is Saya, Saja. Really? Saja, yeah, S A J A. So Faja. I guess like that's Faja Saja. Yeah, Faja Saja. So like sometimes like I'll I'll do that to like my dad, but like that's his real name, but he doesn't go by that name in public. So that's like if someone heard it, they would think that's a nickname that I have for my dad. Me and my brother that's, have for my dad. That, that that's funny though. I feel like so your question, Laz, my when I call my grandparents or when I speak to my grandma and grandpa, I don't have any nicknames for like that reason. So I just call them grandma or just call them grandpa. So my grandpa, my dad's side that passed away, his name was William Capelmaster. Um, but everybody called him Cap and Cappy. Mm-hmm. Cappy. And so like obviously me, that like, like stuck kind of thing. Yeah. But so it was grandpa Cappy, but everybody referred to him as Cappy. I did not hear one person in my entire life ever call him by his first name, William. So it's just like, I guess nickname in that sense. But when it comes to just like, I've never called him like Mima or Poppy or (laughs) nothing like that. But an example of what you're talking about, my baby cousins. So my great aunt Barbara, my baby cousins who they're, that's their grandma. They call her uh, Gaga. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Perfect example. But I was going to say Sebastian Maniscalco doesn't, he's like my favorite comedian. He does an awesome bit on like, how we call our grandparents just ridiculous nicknames after they like storm Normandy. I'll, I'll play the clip too. Cause that's just, it's just fucking hilarious. But, um, that, that reminded me of a story. Roll the clip. Roll the clip. Wait, 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 wait. Be- before, before you run it, I-, I wanted, I wanted to say, so your, your grandpa goes by Cappy. So does like you also go by Cappy? Does your dad also go by Cappy? <laughs> oh, so that's the thing is my dad does not go by Cappy. So that's like a totally different story. My dad, like to my friends is, for some reason, his name's Jay, but like everybody calls him J-Bug because during a skate, like way back in the day, somebody like screamed out on my team, like, hey, J-Bug or something like that. And it really, I'm, that, that. It's as simple as a story like that. And it's stuck. Maxie Court refuses to call me Cappy. Like she hates, like she doesn't understand like why people call, she understands why people call me, but she's like, when people are like, oh, why don't you call him Cap? It's just like weird. Could you imagine your girlfriend calling you by your nickname? It's like, no. No, like, but like all my hockey friends, like you guys don't call me Justin. No, I forget your first name is Justin sometimes. I know it's such it's a weird name, but I forget my first name. Doesn't fit you. <laughs> but that reminded me, like my first summer in camp. Max, you'll like relate to this more than Cappy, obviously, because Cappy's not a camp guy. Suck it, loser. Um, <laughs> Let's wait, 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 wait. I, <laughs> I'm not a sleepaway camp guy. I went yeah. to camp. I went to camp during the summer. Camp cool. <laughs> my my first summer, like our parents gave us like stickers of like people to write letters to and I was seven years old and, and the sticker said Barbara Lazarus and like in my mind like I'm like who the fuck is Barbara Lazarus because I would just call her ma so I didn't, yeah. I didn't write my grandma a letter the entire summer because I had no idea who it was so you call your grandma ma she passed away but we used to call her ma yeah that's good that gets a little confusing how because I call my mom like hey ma <laughs> yeah I guess it I mean, I was like seven or eight or whatever. I guess it's a different story, but I do want to play that Sebastian clip really fast. It's so fucking funny. You guys are going to die. We called her Grandma. That was her name, Grandma. No stupid nickname for my grandma. You ever hear how people refer to their grandparents? Oh, this is my Mima and my Peepaw. This is my pee-pee and my poo-poo. Ah. Guy's 95 years old. He fought in World War II. Stormed the beach at Normandy. Now his name is Pee-pee? What are you doing to the man? Have some respect. If you haven't listened to Sebastian Maniscalco, I promise you he's like the funniest fucking guy on the planet. Well, and if you know him, we're trying to get him on the podcast. So, you know, feel free to put us in touch.
100% need to get him on the podcast ASAP. That clip was hilarious, though, Laz. Um, but crazy bit, uh, playoff games have been going on, uh, especially in basketball. The Miami Heat, are you kidding me? Game one over uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, pretty crazy. I mean, I think the Miami Heat's going to win this series, to be honest. Uh, what do you think, though, Max? i got to get your input. I'm always interested to hear what Max has to say. I can literally care less what Laz has to say about basketball because he just takes bets on games. But Max. Max, I, I trust your opinion. I trust your judgment. I know my shit. The Heat? <laughs> no, the I, know. Heat. I, just to talk, I just wanted to talk shit. <laughs> Saying the Heat are going to win the series, I mean, that's I don't, I don't think that's a crazy take. I wouldn't go crazy off of game one, though. I don't think beating the Bucks is going to be an easy task. The Heat are stacked. By the way, if you don't follow them, the Heat Instagram page... Whoever runs their social media is hilarious. <laughs> when they win a game, they always do like a little like hype up winning. And then they like, that's the song. It's great. Yeah. Um, I really do like the heat. I could definitely see them beating the Bucks. Um, I see the Celtics coming out of that series against the Raptors. Yeah, they look good. I have the Celtics in the finals, but um, I could see the, I could see the heat winning, but I, I'm not, I'm not going to go crazy over that game one victory, especially since there's no home court advantage. I'm not ruling out the Bucks. I, I, I personally, I think the Bucks are going to come out, are going to come back and win that series. I think it's going to go six or seven. No, I, I, I agree. All, all I'm going to say about basketball though right now is I just hope Chris Paul and the Thunder beat the Rockets tonight because I, I, I hate, I actually, I love Russell Westbrook. I hate James Harden for some reason. I don't know what it is. I do, I do love Chris Paul, honestly. He was like my favorite point guard when I was younger. Like his days in Charlotte, or I guess at the time, were they New Orleans? Um, yeah, it was New Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans. And I had that jersey, which is heat, by the way. Not Miami heat, just fire, sick, whatever. Um, <laughs> but no, I love Chris Paul. I love watching him. I think he, and, and people were shitting on him that he's not a great leader. He's, he took a technical foul, but I think he's awesome. And I hope he takes over and wins well, that series. The crazy thing with the Thunder is, they traded away Paul George and Russell Westbrook and got an arm and a leg from the Clippers and the Rockets and draft picks and players. And they might beat the Rockets of a trade that they traded their best player to. So Sam Presti, he knows more than like he just gets it. He's a great, uh, he's a great GM. So hats off to him and Billy Donovan. See, that's why I asked Maxi because I see I had no idea that situation was even going on there, but I do want to talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning. Winning the series against the Bruins. I mean, dude, Tampa just looks phenomenal. I know they said the last two years that they're supposed to win the cup. This is going to be the year, but dude, this might be the year. I mean, honestly, at this point, um, and then that Dallas Colorado series, Colorado somehow staying alive. Ben Bishop came back for his first game. I don't know if you guys saw that, but I still like Dallas winning that series, but dude, it just, it's just crazy right now. These series, I honestly, I can't predict who's going to win. I thought the Bruins were going to win that series. So it's up in the air right now to me. Cappy, if. We're, we're recording this right now while the Islanders are playing, but if the Islanders and Tampa play in the conference final, I want to make a bet with you. Yeah, 100%. But, and then talking about Tampa, so we're going to get my cousin Paul, who owns a, a bar, American Social. We're going to get him on in a couple of weeks, hopefully. But I was talking to him the other week ago. Um, so he, one of his bars is located in Tampa, like right next to the, uh, right next to the arena. And I was talking to him and I was like, Paul, this would be the year that Tampa wins it. And he's like, dude, I already know. Like, their bar is doing fine, like, under, during this quarantine and everything like that. But I'm like, the business that they would do during a Tampa, I'm like, I mean, no parade, no none of this. And he's like, don't even, like, mention it. I already know. Yeah, that, that is kind of shitty. But um, I'm sure he's doing well. He's got a great bar, a great place. And I definitely am looking forward to having him on. But I do want to say, boys, Rosh Hashanah is coming up pretty soon around the corner, September 18th. And if you need to get your goodies and everything you need for Rosh Hashanah, there's look no further than Bagel Master. Bagel Master is a family-owned bagel store located in Syosset. They have been a member of the community for over 30 years, offering a wide range of not only bagels and homemade baked goods, but a full line of smoked fish and cold cuts. They also specialize in catered events and holidays. They pride themselves on their amazing food while providing a better service. If you don't know, now you know. Check them out on Instagram, at the Bagel Master, and you can also find them on Facebook. There's a reason they call themselves more than just a bagel. And I don't know if our new sandwich would suffice. What's the word? Not suffice. Um, suffice. Yeah, would suffice your uh, cravings for Passover, but the lock egg and cheese is on the menu. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out. With that being said, I think we should send it over to the interview with David Meltzer. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Let's do it. Enjoy, everyone. 
go. This guy grew up in Akron, Ohio, and was bar mitzvahed at Temple Emmanuel. He went to Tulane Law School and became a millionaire just nine months after that. David worked for, worked as the CEO of the renowned Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency, which was the inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire. David is also the co-founder and CEO of Sports One Marketing, as well as the three-time international best-selling author, a top 100 business coach, and the host of the Top Entrepreneur Podcast called The Playbook. He has been recognized by, Var- by Variety Magazine as their Sports Humanitarian of the Year Award and was awarded the Ellis Island Medal of Honor. He has an incredible journey, and if you haven't signed up for his free training sessions every Friday, I highly recommend you do. We're super excited to have him join us. Welcome to the Locker Room Podcast, David Meltzer. David, what's up? Hey, what's up, guys? You seem like the busiest man in America, dude. I see you all over social media. How you been staying busy during this quarantine? You know, I don't believe in the word busy, so I'm active. Busy means unavailable. So as you guys know, I'm extremely accessible. And I like people to take that perspective to be active, to be uh, separate their lives and activity they get paid for and activity that activity they don't get paid for is legacy of faith. And obviously the paid stuff is led by legacy of money. Can you tell us a little about the free training sessions every Friday that you've been doing? Yeah, so I've been training for over 20 years uh, and they have evolved over the 20 years into helping my mission, which is to empower over a billion people to be happy. Um, my goal is to have a thousand people in my lifetime that I can teach consistently every week to teach a thousand people to teach a thousand people. So a thousand times a thousand is a million, a million times a thousand is a billion. I want to create a collective consciousness of happiness, abundance. Uh, happy people don't attack other people. Happy people don't steal, cheat, manipulate, lie. So I think happiness is the cure. It's also a virus. It's the most viral of viruses. It's spread simply by witnessing it. It strengthens our emotional, spiritual, physical, most literally will strengthen your immune system and protect you from other things. So I'm a true happiness mogul and uh, I'm going to teach others to do the same. Yeah. We've uh, recently registered to sign up for your free training sessions and, uh, and your Instagram lives you've been seeing, but um, you know, we're slowly kind of learning the way you work and uh, how we should start thinking and, and training our minds. Yeah. We'll teach you a mindset and a heart set, right? They both work in continuum and conscious, subconscious and unconscious mind, just teaching people the way things work in a simple step-by-step, but most importantly, what I want to teach people is to enjoy the consistent, everyday, persistent, without quit pursuit of their potential. And everybody has their own potential, and I want them to enjoy that journey. Um, so, David, me, myself, I'm from Coral Springs, Florida, very Jewish area. Um, you know those Florida people down here. So I don't know specifically, but was Akron, Ohio, a very Jewish area? Like, was your family pretty religious growing up? So my family was very religious uh, growing up. Uh, we lived in Fairlawn, which was a, a Jewish part of Akron, Ohio. Um, I wouldn't say that it was, you know, uh, Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, my, my brother's a rabbi. My mom was the principal of the Jewish Academy. All my siblings went to the San Diego Jewish Academy. My younger brothers, when they opened it, I was a year too old. Um, everybody, of course, uh, studied through confirmation. So, uh, you know, beyond the religious studies, my family is very Jewish in culture. So that meant we blew, grew up with, you know, several things that you guys are used to, like, you know, the fetus isn't fully developed till after graduate school, uh, rules like doctor, lawyer, failure. Uh, I always say my mom was, had the, she's the first person that has a Jewish black belt. Uh, it's a mar- different martial arts. She's a third degree black belt of Jewish guilt. And, uh, <laughs> It, that's why all our children are successful. And it's funny, too. I mean, I obviously, or not obviously, but I haven't met so many Jews in the Akron, Ohio, Cleveland area. But I did go to school in Erie, in Erie, Pennsylvania, which is pretty close. And I will defend Cleveland till I die. Like, people say Cleveland's such a shitty area, but the flats and, like, that downtown kind of area is gorgeous. Like, I will defend Cleveland anytime there's an argument about it. Yeah, it's a great place now. When I was a kid, it wasn't as great, though. Well, I'm sure I'm sure it's growing a little bit, but pre Jake, the pre Jake. <laughs> so so tell us about your bar mitzvah a little bit if you can remember that far back. I mean, I don't know. You had yeah, to have had, you, you had to have had a theme or something. Come on. Oh my gosh, you guys are gonna die when I tell you this story. So um I was more resistant of dogmatic religion. Uh my family was so religious and my two younger brothers just loved Judaism. They were fluent in Hebrew, right? They and so I separated myself. So Several things happened. Number one, I got the chicken pox before my bar mitzvah. 
Oh, uh, fuck. I almost didn't do it. Then I gave my whole, all my siblings, right? So I have five siblings that I gave the chicken pox to uh, <laughs> before my bar mitzvah. Uh, so I still had pox, like, on my face. I wasn't contagious anymore. Um, it was a sports theme, so, you know, uh, the charge, it was the Chargers theme type of uh, event, the, the party, which I really enjoyed. But I, I actually, um, two funny things stand out during the ceremony. Rabbi Lawson, who he and I are just so close now uh, later on in my life. But number one, I was translating the Torah, and I, I, I memorized everything. Right. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm translating it just straight out of memory. And he actually halfway through the translation grabbed the pointer and moved it down like eight lines. Because the pointer <laughs> wasn't even close. <laughs> Which I, I love. And then I also threatened my mom on the pulpit before my hop Torah. I, she, we, we got into some argument up there. And she was like putting the Jewish guilt on me to do something. And I'm like, look, I'll walk off this stage. I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm done. I'm walking off. It's usually yeah. now. So those are kind of the funny stories that existed in my mind. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people understand, uh, Jewish mother's guilt. I could just picture her up there screaming at you. You better get this right or get done. You're, you're absolutely done. But I was kind of similar to you in that, like, I didn't read Hebrew very well growing up, but like, I, my, I memorized everything. And, uh, like people don't understand like the uh, like the songs in the Hebrew like the door by door the door by door like like that's what I memorized like I was just like bagging to these Hebrew songs back in the day and like when it came down to like memorizing my hop door I was like just put it in like a musical form and I'll get it just like, yeah, me, yeah. like the, you know what I mean so that's how that worked out but um did you do you remember like your walkout song I don't know if uh if you can remember uh, that I do remember uh it was um gosh uh shoot now i'm not gonna remember but i remember my tour <laughs> i remember i memorized it so it's very yeah. see i'm jamming yeah uh, I, also, I also by the way have the second worst voice in the world which is really great because i was the first person to chant torah in the hot torah portion because my uncle eli uh was like a, a cantor and Fluently knew Hebrew, and it was so important to him that I was bar mitzvah, and he wanted to teach me Trump and to chant. And I, I was in a, at that time, Reformed synagogue. He was in a conservative. My brother's a conservative rabbi. But my voice is second worst only to my younger brother, who is the rabbi. And true story, he has such a bad voice that he, when I was at Tulane Law School in New Orleans, I asked him to come down. He said, only, I'll, I'll come down, but only if you go to services with me on Friday night. So I was like, <laughs> all right. So I, I went, and uh, he sings as if he thinks, you know, he has this great voice. Well, he's singing whatever, you know, Shabbat Shalom, hey, Shabbat. <laughs> and he's screaming, like, it's so bad. And all of a sudden, I see the little five-year-old girl in front of us. like, this. Oh, no. And so I oh. tap him on the shoulder as he's, like, so into it, you know. He's in his element. Of, he's at Harvard at the time. He doesn't know he's going to be a rabbi yet. Uh, he's biochem major at Harvard in his senior year. I'm in my first year of law school. I tap him on the shoulder, point to the little girl. She's like this. I'm like, dude, please. Kill I, I had a, I had a great rabbi, Rabbi Plotkin. Um, he had a beautiful voice. I remember back in the day. That's why I love the songs. I feel like it's got to be a requirement. You got to make a, requ- a requirement for rabbis to take singing lessons once they're done. <laughs> now my brother married a woman who, uh, she's amazing, but has an amazing voice. So she's the cancer while he's there. So she sings for him. She, and has amazing voice. she actually is the voice with the Dead Sea Scrolls. So if you listen to the recording, if you go on that tour, that. that's her voice singing at all the museums around the world. Yeah, we'll have to check that out for sure. But um, I also want to ask you, can you explain a little bit how you use your Jewish heritage to shape the way that you teach other people? Yeah, well, first of all, one of the best lessons I've ever learned is to be more interested than interesting. And I don't think there's anything more Jewish than that statement, right? The Jewish mm-hmm. Book of Why is based off of being more interested than interesting. Also allowing people to question. Also being of service and of help. My name, you know, my Jewish name actually means beloved servant. Uh, David is beloved. Mm-hmm. And- David. <laughs> yeah. So we knew I that knew, was coming. I knew it was. So, so, but before you continue, I was, I was gonna ask. Like every David I've met, I swear their Hebrew name is David, and I wanted to see if there was, there was the same way. Of course, man. I'm David Melik. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, I think, uh, I, I bring Jewish culture, 
uh, into a lot of things. I also, I, I think distinguishing dogmatic religion, I'm someone who questions things about Judaism. Um, I'm not afraid of my Jewish heritage, but I'm very spiritual. I've studied uh, the Course in Miracles, the Kabbalah, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Uh, I've studied uh, Mormon, you know, the Book of Mormon. I, I've studied, and the reason I studied is I want to know human nature. I'm uh, the, the problem I have with all religion is the parts of the religion that separate us, even in the context of Judaism, separating different people within Judaism. And within those sects, they separate people, men and women. And I, I just, I'm a, it is so prevalent today. I'm a believer in one, right? I believe that I am connected to the greatest source of energy, light and love and lessons that have ever existed and that everything's connected to me. And that no tree has a branch, like no branch would go to war against another branch. And yeah. I am a mathematical, technological thinker of the universe. Uh, but there's aspects and lessons from as well as culture that can really help uh, my mission is to empower others, to empower others to be happy. There's so many things that are right within the context of that religion. And um, I hope you guys, you know, I, I question my brother. My, my ultimate question of Judaism is, how is it that God would send down an angel of death to kill a firstborn baby of anything? That doesn't literally make any sense to me, no matter what religion believes yeah. that or whatever. And so I believe in the lessons of Judaism. I believe in the culture of Judaism. I believe in the intent of Judaism. I am Jewish uh, in that respect, but I'm also into oneness and humanity. I'm a human being. I'm made of matter. And everyone has the same matter that I'm made up, and that's what matters to me. And how can I inspire people to clear the interference, corrosion, and connection between us, not create more corrosion interference uh, between us? Definitely, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of have a similar mindset to that as well. Um, I mean, when I was 15, um, I'm, I'm fully Jewish as well. I, I went to Catholic school for a year, and I was a little, uh, you know, up and down about it. I didn't really know. But one of the best decisions I made, because I, I took a religion class there, was required. And to see, well, I had a great religion teacher, but to see the comparisons and the differences, like on a very like specific level, really made me see like the religion on another like another wavelength kind of thing. Um, but I do want to ask you: I've been dating my girlfriend for eight years. She is Catholic. Um, was it important for you to marry a Jewish girl? <laughs> it was not. Other than one thing, is that I wanted to respect my mom, so I preferred to marry one because I wanted to respect. My mom and I knew as well, just culturally, that uh, I would have statistically a better chance uh, of staying married. There'd be less things to teach and understand. And Definitely. Uh, now, I, I have everything going for me when it comes to my wife because I met her in the fourth grade. We went to the same elementary school, junior high school, high school, grew up in the same area, both Jewish. Our families knew each other. You know, so there's a lot that we didn't have to do compared to a lot of couples. Um, and so I had a huge head start, but I it was not, I, I almost, uh, you know, got married to a girl that wasn't Jewish and relatives <laughs> that do, and they're fine and happy. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, my girlfriend's Catholic and it was I think, the first time, like my grandma met her and she's like religious, but not like extremely, my girlfriend's got like, a little cross on her back and she like was by the pool and she's like, Oh no, Justin, what's going on here? This is like, like third grade, eight years <laughs> later, eight years later, she loves her. So. You were in third grade eight years ago? I just told, I told oh, my mom, okay. I, I told my mom she likes math. I'm like, that's not a cross, that's a plus sign. She wants to be a math teacher. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> David, oh, you had the cool. chance to, to go to Israel at all or do birthright or anything like that? I didn't do birthright, but I have gone to Israel many times. Um, I'm on the board of Sababa Ventures, so working within the context of bringing uh, Israeli technologies and funding Israeli companies uh, in America, that uh, was a big part of what I do. I love uh, the academia and intelligence of Israel uh, as a country. And uh, moreover, I've enjoyed, I got to stay at the Kotel. One of our family friends owned a hotel right on the Kotel on the wall. I've toured, done a Palestinian tour, Israeli tour. Um, I have been there probably four or five times in my life. Uh, my brother actually sits uh, on the board to, determine the conservative uh, Judaism. So they go for six weeks every nice. year. Uh, my brother does. Uh, my wife loves, loves, loves Israel, and I plan to go back soon. All my kids will do birthright, though. What would you say is your favorite thing about Israel? 
Because we hear a bunch of different a bunch of different stories oh, from other history. guys. So for, for me, it's just simple, right? I I believe in learning human nature. I believe life is about lessons, and the lessons we learn keep on coming. Uh, pain is an indicator that we haven't learned a lesson. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial pain is just an indicator. It's a turn signal. Hey, man, you got to move in a different direction to learn something, better your situation, or make your situation better. And so, to learn an extensive history of cross culturalism, cross religious, cross humanity, uh, you can learn more about human nature by going to Israel uh, than anywhere else in the entire world. There's so much to learn. Uh, you have to be more interested than interesting. I see people walking by lessons all the time, and I want to, you know, raise their vibration and frequency and awareness and say, whoa, 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 take a deep breath, be more interested than interesting. You don't have to worry about, you know, getting over to the Red Sea because everyone says you need to see the Red Sea. Look at this stone right here and listen to the stories and the lessons that are tied to this stone. I mean, that is an amazing point because, like, the day that Max and I actually met on Birthright and everyone was looking forward to, like, all these different landmarks and doing the, the Dead Sea and um, going to the Western Wall, and then you kind of forget about the little things that might impact you. But speaking of, like, little things that might impact you, I, I did hear that you had to go kosher for a week. Can you tell us what uh, what that was like and a little bit about that story? Yeah, so uh, there's a rapper named Mike Stud. Who, Love Mike. Uh, yeah, he's a pitcher. I, I'm a big fan of his. Anyway, he invited me up to the ranch to be on his podcast. And so I traveled deep with a posse. I'm like a middle-aged rap star. <laughs> I usually got 10 deep when I travel. And uh, so we he was a little bit surprised, but I, I showed up uh, for the podcast with about 15, 20 deep. And uh, we decided to play Jaeger Pong. And Jakey Bakey, who you guys know here, my Michigan little brother, he uh he decides him and Mike are gonna take on me and my camera guy. And so we made a bet and the bet was that I would have to keep kosher for a week. Um and uh if I won, I didn't have to pay him for a week. <laughs> okay. It's a good bet. Yeah, it's a good bet. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh he won. And so uh the funny thing was part of my caveat, he's he's not a great gambler. I said, I'll keep kosher for a week, but you have to buy the food. So I, either way I was gonna win. Right. I mean, kosher food's good food, but free food's better. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> I, uh, I, I lost and I had to eat kosher for a week. What was your like least favorite thing about eating kosher for a week? You know, for, for me, um, the salt, you know, things seem to be salty. Uh, mm. but look, man, I, it was free food. And if it's free, it's me. I loved it. And <laughs> really. Jake, Jake is a mensch, so he he was gracious about whatever I wanted to eat. He was getting for me. My heart could not take you know a corned beef sandwich every day, so I had to, <laughs> I had to explore other things. That's my new favorite quote. If it's free, it's me. <laughs> we got like t-shirt. To, that's like me to a T. Got it. <laughs> Jake said it's an expensive week. Yeah, it was. <laughs> So, so David, you went to law school, but I understand you played football in college. Um, was law something you always wanted to pursue? No, I wanted to pursue football. In fact, I went to the college. Yeah. I, I joke around, but I went to this long list of schools that wanted me to play co- college football. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I went to Occidental and played. I quickly learned that it wasn't going to be my profession. So I was going to be a doctor, and then my brother taught me, gave me that line, be more interested than interesting. Taught me that doctors had to be in hospitals. I was 18. I wasn't more interested than interesting at 18, uh, but I held that close to my heart. So doctor, lawyer, failure. I uh, went to law school and uh, reverse engineered, though interesting enough, you know, I was very, I talked about my journey as tied to two currencies, one money and one faith. Well, early in my life, it was all money. I wanted to buy my mom a house and a car. I wanted to be a millionaire. I was always happy unless there was financial stress in my life. So, uh, I reverse engineered Tulane Law School because they had the highest paying jobs out of law school. They were the top maritime law school. So they oil and gas litigators were paid the most. So I actually just went to law school because I could make the most money and then ended up not being a lawyer. I took the bar. My mom made me, she guilted me into taking the bar. But uh, So I am a lawyer. But I went into sales because I wanted to make even more money. And that's how I became a millionaire nine months out of law school. What, uh, what, so what, what, what position were you in football before we get into that? So I was a uh, punt returner, kick returner in what was called a weak quarterback, a defensive back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I played man to man. Back then you could hit, hit, you know, bump and run. And I was extremely quick, fast, and 
I was really quick with my hands. So although everybody was a lot bigger than me, I was 5'7", 147 pounds. I was, I was a pretty sticky uh, man-to-man coverage kid. Oh, yeah. You had to throw a really high, perfect ball to get it over me. You were wheeling. You were a little Darren Sproles out there. I could picture it. Oh, yeah. Dude. You also must have some big balls because, <laughs> dude, I think punt returning is like the most terrifying position in all the sports. Like, to yeah. have your eye in the sky and have people coming to kill you is like <laughs> I pulled both. I pulled both in as well. Um, uh, 15 feet, 6 inches was my best. Oh, that's crazy. 4.9 meters. And everybody would say, you're crazy, pole vaulting. And I was like, that's not near. Like, I, you're in complete control when you're pole vaulting, right? You just, you keep getting better and better at the 52 things that you need to do. And so it's not as dangerous as it looks because it's like golf, you know. When you first start, it looks amazing that you can hit a ball 300 yards. But if you hit a ball 300 yards, it's not a big deal. And you hit 310, right? But mm-hmm. punt returning, there is so many variables that can literally kill you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was the dumb, it was literally the dumbest thing. There's no control until you catch the ball, not get hit right when you catch it. As soon as you get the ball in your hands and nobody's hit you immediately, then at least you have some control when the eyes come back down onto the field and you see people. But when you're here, you, you know, it's yeah, all, you're the just, worst I thing can... you want to do is you get drilled. Cause remember, I played, it was 1986 to 1990, four years that I played. So the rules were not the same. Yeah, you could light up a punt returner, right? Like, there was none of these little baby rules that they have today. And, like, my eyes were here. One time I got drilled so hard I got up, and you always saw the short man, you know, the guy that's supposed to block the, the, the bullet. Yeah. And if he missed, right, he's sitting here like this. You never want to see that when you get up. <laughs> <laughs> that's some scary shit. I would yeah. not want to play that position. There's no shot. I mean, I'm a goalie, so people are like, oh, that's scary enough. But punt returner, no shot now. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. No chance. But David, your story is very unique because like you said, you made nine or you, you were a millionaire nine months after you finished law school. But at such a young age, you also kind of lost everything. How did you build yourself back up again? You know, it started two years before I lost everything. In 2006, I was running Lee Steinberg Sports Entertainment and my wife saved my life by basically telling me I was lost. You know, I came home, I went to the Grammy Awards with Little John. I partied my butt off, came home 5.30 in the morning after lying to her. I had three young daughters under 10 at the time. I lied to her and said, you know, I was going to go to a business meeting, came home at 5.30 in the morning, wasted. And she had had it. She had, everybody was too afraid to tell me the truth, right? Very few people in the last 15 years of my life, uh, up to 2006, would tell me I'm lost. You know, and I was. I, I was. I was super rich, buying things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. You know, and I was empty. The first time in my life, I wasn't happy. And so my wife told me, look, I'm going to leave you. I'm not happy. You better take stock in who you were and who you want to become or you're going to end up dead. And, you know, I didn't really listen into her. I got mad at her, in fact, and then went to bed and woke up even madder until I saw a jacket that my dad had given me uh, for my birthday at 30, you know, it was eight years before. And. You know, I got mad at him for giving me the jacket because it had no pockets. And he told me to hang it in the closet because money couldn't buy me happiness and love. And I was lost. And I was just like him. And I was mad because I was nothing like him in my mind. And then I realized as I looked at that jacket that I was everything I hated about my dad since I've been 10 years old. My dad left when I was five. My hero became my zero at 10 when he forgot my birthday. It was everything I hated about myself. And I was a self-loather, a self-sabotager. I live without gratitude and forgiveness and accountability and inspiration. And I have worked and practiced those four things since 2006 every day. Uh, I saw some incremental growth about nine years into it. And the reason I say that is, look, the problem with people is they don't see the growth and acceleration. In fact, when they're growing and accelerating, the first thing they, they see is being stuck. That's because you're growing and accelerating, but you don't see the growth and accelerating and you feel the limit. And so I teach people not to quit, to be enjoying the consistent, persistent pursuit of their potential so that they don't quit. So you're not one of the 99% that vote for what other people think of you, vote for what they want for you, and you vote for what you want, and you elect what you want in your life. And 99% of people quit at 25% because they can't see the growth and acceleration. And then another 99% of the 1% quit at 50% of the way there. And it only took half as much time to get to 50% as it did to 25 and then it only takes half as much time for the 1% and of the 1% that doesn't quit to get to 100% of the way there. And I did that with gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration. 
and it changed my life. Uh, and I've been on a quest for 20 years to empower people with those values. I didn't know it for the first few years that that was my mission. Uh, but of course, in the last five years, ever since I started writing books, speaking, coaching, podcasts, movies, TV, all the things with my own brand, uh, I've decided that that's what I want to do with my life to make a significant change, to create a legacy that I can be proud of, a legacy of kindness and happiness. Um, yeah, as, as Johnny said, like, I also, I really, I really admire your story with all the ups and downs and rebuilding your career. And it's not easy for people to talk about that. How do you think about and face failure? Yeah, um, it's interesting because I was so afraid of it. I was so afraid if somebody would have told me that I would tell anyone that I went bankrupt, even when I went bankrupt, I was on my journey of learning this. I was too afraid, right? I was too afraid to be judged and what other people would think. And for me, I started realizing that the reason I know so much, the value I have is because I'm not afraid to learn. I'm not afraid to have pain in my life. I'm not afraid of mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, all these pains. I know it's just an indicator that I'm growing and accelerating by learning more. It's an indicator I have something to learn. So failure to me is only one thing, quitting. Now, people say, oh, you know, what if your business isn't doing it? I don't quit on a business. I just pivot. Right? I can close a business without quitting, right? We, I can take all the knowledge and lessons that I learned, and I'm not a failure because I decided that I didn't know what I was doing with that business, but now I'm going to take these lessons and apply it to a different business. I'll give you an example. I got several businesses, obviously, that I do now. One of the most prominent businesses is Sports One Marketing, right? What do you think a sports marketing company that, you know, has hospitality and sponsorship and advertising at large gatherings like the Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, Masters, Kentucky Derby, Breeders' Cup is doing today? Zip, right? Does that make me a failure? Because, no, it doesn't because I've already learned my lessons about that. I built a spine approach and a spine approach allows me to use my skills, my knowledge and desire and various mechanisms in order to monetize it, to keep in mind my mission of empowering others to empower others to be happy by making a lot of money, helping a lot of people and having a lot of fun. So if live speaking, I can't do that and I can't sell sponsorship to live gatherings, I just pivoted. But it doesn't mean I'm a failure because I'm not doing what I did before. In fact, I will make more money next month than I ever have and be more successful, build my brand more. And the basis of the business, the sports one marketing business, probably it will never do worse than next month by itself as sponsorship and hospitality goes. Because <laughs> I can't find a big event anywhere. Like regarding like opening up with your failures, you talk about it all the time. Did that really help you become a leader and take on accountability going forward from when you re rebuilt your rebuilt your career? Yeah, so I was saying, right, the truth vibrates the fastest and radical humility comes along with the truth. And so people actually will like you more when you're honest about what it is. And that was the amazing thing. And I started realizing, gosh, when I just illuminate my weaknesses, they become strengths. When I let people know the lessons that I've learned, I'll give you a really classic one. So I meet this guy, he went to Harvard Business School, Harvard Law School, one of those guys, and he flies in on his private jet to meet me. And he goes and he tells me his background on all the different roll-ups that he's done and public companies that he's done and billions of dollars that he's made and success after success after success, right? And then he says, well, tell me a little bit about you. And I'm like, oh, you know, Born six kids and a single mom, two or two jobs, packed the lunch. I was kind of lost. I let money drive my life. I didn't have a good relationship. In fact, you know, I lost over a hundred million dollars and went bankrupt in 2008. And I learned this. And, and then by the end of my story, he wanted to go back and tell, retell his story about all the failures that he had or less. <laughs> right. He went from like way up here to like, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. well, I, I've lost money before too. I'm like, really? That's surprising. Um, <laughs> So I, I find, look, the truth vibrates the fastest. Illuminate who you are because it allows people who are like you to appreciate and be attracted to you. The worst thing that you can do and the worst thing that I did when I was young is I wanted everyone to love me. I wanted people to love me for who I wasn't. Right? I'd rather people hate me for who I am than love me for who I'm not. And that's a big shift in the paradigm of my life. Yeah, that's very well said. I mean, I, I'm kind of a similar way. My mindset is like I want to be liked by everybody. 
And I guess that's not the case. You know, you don't have to be someone you're not to get like to be liked by somebody else. That's what my, what my mindset was growing up to. Yeah. You know what happens? If you put yourself in a child, right? You know, do you want to hang around someone that just is needy and wants to be loved or liked? Yeah. Or you want to be around that person. Right? You want to be around the person that, that is aligned with your frequency that's interesting. Right? We, we want to be around someone that will tell, tell us the truth and tell us no. Right? I'm made by the people who say no to me. Yeah. Definitely. David, I got kind of a, a two-parter for you here. Actually, maybe maybe be a three-parter. Eh, not probably two. But who would you say was your biggest role model when it comes to leadership and being competitive? And then on top of that, if there was a movie made about your life, who would you want to be casted as David Meltzer? I'll start with the second part. I said John Lovitz because he looks most like me. That's who should be casted for me. Definitely. <laughs> Leader for me uh, is, is interesting because I, I would have to say at a young age, um, it was my uncle Eli, uh, who was a famous physician. He was a leader in the, the temple. He was a leader in the community. Uh, you know, and he, he was principled, right? He, he knows his values. As I got older, I don't agree with all his values, right? I, I've learned from him. And, but as a young man, like to, to, you know, lead by example. And he had made sure our family had Shabbat dinner every Friday night. He wouldn't let us go out until the dinner was over. But he forced our family to be together and he would take forever to do our satyrs and he, he would, you know, force feed certain principles. And it's like that football coach or whatever sport you got are hockey guys. But, you know, it's like Herb Brooks, uh, you know, who I love. Nobody liked him. Right. But yeah. he may have been the greatest coach of all time. Right. Because he didn't care. All he cared about. I remember the line. Right. It, I, I loved it. He said, well, maybe. If everybody hates me, they'll love each other. Yep. Right? Like, he's so beyond, like, what he did with the talent. Most people can win, you know, most people can win with talent. Right? And then it becomes, okay, who's the better coach? But we both have, we're in the same ballpark. There's certain teams you think could never win. Right? And then every once in a while, there's a guy, a real leader like her, right, that can take probably not even in the same top-tier talent, Right, maybe a best middle talent and win everything, beat the greatest talent ever and do it because, you know, hard work will, will, will beat talent if talent doesn't work hard. And Herb Brooks actually said this. Well, this is what Herb Brooks said. He said, we need to make some changes and that can only be good for the game. Tulsi once said, everybody wants to change the world, but they don't want to change themselves. So we all have to change our thinking and focus on getting our kids better. You don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. That's my man. Research guy. Yeah, no, I like (laughs) it. No, it was exactly. And and he also said in a a paraphrase, but I use this for business, right? When he was making them skate and the the other coach wanted him to quit, he kept blowing the whistle. Again. 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 The legs, the legs feed the line. Yeah, the wolves. They do. Yeah. The wolves. Yeah, the wolves. The wolves. The wolves. Yeah, that's my <laughs> line, though, man. That's my line. It's like, let's talk about business. Make sure you're feeding the legs, right? Make sure you're feeding what captures the food. Too many people have these side hustles and this and this, and they forget you got to strengthen. You know, you got to feed those legs to get fed. Something that talked about that I think is very interesting is that we are made of our nose. Can you expand on that? Yeah. I said it today, right? I'm made by the people that say no to me. I have two philosophies of no's that have always helped me. One is, is consistent and persistent, meaning people quit when they hear no. And so I, I change the whole perspective. I tell myself I'm only 25 no's from getting what I want. So it allows me to get excited about the first no, learn some lessons. The second no, I'm super excited by the 10th, by the 15th. People get crazy, like, dude, you received 20 no's. I know, I'm almost there. You know, who gets excited when they get the 24th no? Most people will quit by then. Not me. I know I'm only one one no away from getting what I want or so many no's. So that's the first no. And then the other side of no where I say I'm made by the people who say no to me. Because I have a, no, a three-rule no. So if I'm engaged with you and we're trying to do something, like let's say this podcast, and, and I want to be on this podcast, and we have a – time set up to schedule it and something happens no electricity i count that as one no and then the second time maybe i forget 
I actually count that as two no's. And then the third time, you guys need to schedule on me. On that third no, I have a rule, three no's. So I would call you guys and say, hey, look, I've done everything that I can. I'm I'm accountable, but I'm not going to move forward. I got more things that I need to do that are working out in the universe, in the context of what I want. If you really want to get this done, call me back. I'll do it. If not, I'm going to have to move to the things that are working out in my life. 50, 50% of the time, now, I, I know one thing about statistics. Please write this down, you guys. You'll love this. There's only one statistic I've ever found to be true, and that's 99% of all statistics are made up. So just remember that when I say this next thing. 50% <laughs> of the people, uh, when that no thing happens, 50% never call me again. And I just realized how much time, resource, and money I've saved. And 50% close immediately. And yeah. they do what I want. Both ways, I win. Both ways, I'm made by the people and the circumstances and the universe that said no to me. Yeah, 100%. I feel like uh, it's a good thing we didn't uh, say no to you. So, I mean, it's uh, we didn't get to the third no. We didn't yeah. even get to. You get to no. one, man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> you guys are oh. got my warm-up for Dan Aykroyd. I got an interview with Dan Aykroyd after this. I gotta the warm-up. Warm I love it. So, David, uh, tell us a little bit about the Playbook podcast that you created um, and basically how you turned it into a huge success. So, Napoleon Hill is my favorite book, Think and Grow Rich. And he was commissioned by Carnegie to go around the world and – uh, find the situational knowledge of people for a variety of different things in order to be successful, the, the blend of currency of money and faith. Uh, and so I have so many great relationships with celebrities, athletes, entertainers, business executives, entrepreneurs, that I decided to do a podcast uh, when they, we had the first surge of people doing podcasts uh, to give the situational knowledge and experience, to have a think and grow rich, a playbook to success, and uh, I've been doing that now. It's the top entrepreneur podcast in the in the world now, I think. And uh, we've had everyone, Hall of Famers, executives, even a Jewish hockey player, believe it or not. You have to go back and find them. But my Jewish NHL star, executives of great, humongous companies, entertainment companies. And I only talk about their playbook to success, the secret sauce, the inspiration, aspiration. And the one common thread that all of them have is, they all have a desire to must be what they can be. And that's what I want people to learn is you must be what you can be. Definitely. So I know we're on a little time crunch here, but I want to get into a segment that we have called the matzo ball minute questions. I know you're thrilled over there for this. Uh, start, start you off, start you off with an easy one. Bill Belichick or Bill Parcels? Bill Belichick. Belly. <laughs> Belly. <laughs> if you could own one sports franchise, who would it be and why? I don't the San Diego Chargers, so I can move them back to San Diego. <laughs> it's a good answer. Yeah, it's a good answer. Gratitude or humility? Woo! That's the first tricky one, man. Every other one was certain. Wow. Oh, gosh. I, I, honestly, <laughs> humility. Tough one, though. Tough one. Can you can you explain why, though, humility over gratitude? I think I was looking to see which one would be more a subset of the other, and I think if you're humble, you're gracious. I think I've always been gracious, but not humble. But I think humble people are all gracious. Very well said. It took me a while to get there, but I found it. <laughs> I love it. So the last question we got for you, David, kind of a deeper question, and I'm sure you're going to blow this one out of the, the ballpark or whatever that phrase is. I think I just fucked that one up. But <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? But if you could, uh, if you could talk to the 15-year-old David Meltzer, what kind of advice would you give him? Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. In other words, do mitzvahs. You have to ask for help. By being kind to your future self, be radically humble. Ask how you can be of service to others, but more importantly, ask others, do you know anyone that can help me? Be kind to your future self. Do a mitzvah. You're honestly the first person that I, I knew that you would crush that, and you were the first person that, that's answered it in that sense. Um, I want from, from all three of us, I want to thank you so much. Yeah. This has been awesome getting to know you on a different kind of level. And, um, you know, we're huge fans, and we definitely take everything that you say and try to implement it into our own lives. So we really appreciate get, this. Get everybody to come to Friday. I got my own Shabbat services. They're a little bit early, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. They're free. Just like if it's free, it's me, guys. So come join me. I will teach you to be happy and teach other people to be happy to teach other people to be happy. And I'm counting on three young superstars like you to empower others and help me on my mission and my legacy. Let's create an abundant world together. All right? 
We love it, well. David. Mazel tov. Stay healthy. Thanks so much. Thank, Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jakey Bakey. You got it. Dave's reading from the Torah tomorrow in training. I hope you guys can come. <laughs> we'll, we'll, be, we'll be there. We'll Memorize. I don't read, brother. I can't read it. Oh, me too. I got you. <laughs> Memorization. Thanks I'll see very much. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Brooke. You got it, boys. Another great interview with David Meltzer. We're so thankful he took the time. I know I say it all the time. We're so thankful our guests take the time to come on. But like seriously though, like I, like by following him on social media, just looking at him, like this guy is the busiest human being I've ever seen in my entire life. So yes, thank David so much for taking the time to join a couple of Jewish boys on the pod. I also do want to thank his assistant, Jake Fleshner. I was able to get in touch with him through just my Jewish geography. He's a Michigan kid, so that was pretty easy for me since everyone around here goes to Michigan. But I want to thank him again, and it was awesome to have David on. Highly recommend if you guys don't already, go listen to his free training Friday sessions. Um, he has a lot of great things to offer. He's definitely taught me, Cappy, and I'm sure Maxie throughout the last couple of weeks just about how we can change our mindset to find our own happiness, especially through a time like this. But I do want to thank those two again. It was definitely an awesome time talking to him and a guy that we can learn a lot from. I think everybody can. To be honest, prior to us talking to David, I didn't know much about him. And ever since, I've been following him and, and, uh, and reading up on him and listening to all his advice. And one, one advice, one thing that he stresses a lot that, uh, that I think is great, and he, he talks about it in the episode, is how many no's instead of thinking like, oh, three people said no to you, think of it as uh, till you get to where you want to be, it might take 50 no's. So if you get one, that means you're even closer. So to kind of like change your mindset with that, that's a great tweak. And I, and I, I love that advice. It's funny when he said that before, before he got into what he was going to say, I thought he was like talking about like a Jewish nose. Like I thought he was gonna, like nose. Oh. <laughs> and then he kind of hit, hit us with that. But uh, that that, 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 it, it does make sense though, Max, like even from like in my perspective, like from a hockey perspective, the amount of times like I've tried out for a team and I've been like, no, no. And then finally, <laughs> yes. The, no, coaches, but- the coaches tells you no. <laughs> so, someone, yeah, no. someone scores on Cappy the coach gets up to him no <laughs> just no explanation whatsoever just no. <laughs> Gilmore Gilmore I said your name right nope well better luck next year <laughs> speaking of speaking of David did you guys see I know he posts a lot of videos and stuff like that um he posted one the other day he like I guess he likes to involve his kids a lot in the things that he does so I, we had to get him back on because they were talking about his fat Jewish friend this guy Josh <laughs> I don't know what about they like mentioned it. They were so they were talking to his kids and he was on um video with somebody else and they were talking about is it okay for your kids to pick up on like the bad words you say and then say it themselves. And it was a whole conversation like that, but like I guess the conversation got started by their fat J- Jewish friend Josh, who we didn't talk about at all throughout the episode. <laughs> Maybe we can get the, the Jewish friend Josh to come on the podcast to give I want to hear the story. Uh, yeah, same. Fat Jewish friend Josh. I didn't see that video, but I'll t- I'll go check it out. Aside from that, you guys get any big Labor Day weekend plans coming up this weekend? Yeah, actually, I was supposed to go to Fort Myers with uh, my girlfriend and a couple of her friends and my good buddy. Um, I may back out of that because the, my, good friend, <laughs> my good friend that I was supposed to go with, it's his birthday's Labor Day weekend, and he mm-hmm. kind of wants to spend it like with the boys in Fort Lauderdale, which is completely understandable. Um, so I, I'm basically going to do whatever he's going to do and let Court, my girlfriend, have her little girl's trip in Fort Myers. What about you guys? Um, me, nothing, nothing crazy. Um, my buddy Ryan's been traveling like every single weekend for the past nine weeks and, uh, he's going to be in town this weekend. So I'm probably just going to play golf with him and a few other, few, few other of my friends, maybe chill out in the backyard of one of my buddy's place, drink some beer. Casual, just a casual weekend. What about you, Laz? I don't have any big plans. Probably just going to head out East, um, see a couple buddies, see Ellie. Um, that's pretty much it, I guess. Yeah, I got nothing really big planned. But I do want I do want to say something though. Uh, Cappy, I wish you fucking lived in New York because Maxie and I are, are gonna go see our boy Jared Freed live in about two weeks. Your um, boy Jared Freed. He is our boy. Our boy. I mean, I'm boys with them too. I said my boy. You said uh, no. I mean, I thought I said our boy. I don't know. <laughs> Salty. <laughs> kind of. Uh, that just that just shows how upset I am that you guys yeah. are going there. I'm not. Salty. <laughs>
Well, yeah, I was going to say, so you guys got like backstage passes. Have you spoke to him? Like, are you guys going to go like do the whole nine or what? Um, I mean, I was damning with him. Maybe we'll meet up after hopefully or something like that. Get a picture taken. Um, who knows? We'll see. We'll see what we can do. You get brought up on stage, get a little locker room mashup. I don't think he'll bring us up on stage. And if he does, he'll probably just make fun of us, which I don't want. So <laughs> that's how comedy shows work, right? The first the guy in the front row, you know, you're just getting made fun of the whole time. Oh, dude, I got to totally. Oh, my God. I love comedy shows. I, yeah. I, I live for comedy shows. The best. But I think that wraps it up for this episode. I do want to add that you guys should go get your very own dude robes. We love ours. Go to www.dudrobe.com. Use our promo code LOCKUP for 20% off. With that being said, I hope you guys have an awesome Labor Day weekend. And we got another episode coming at you next Wednesday. Be good, everybody. Stay safe. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Just because.